Good morning, church. So good to be with you. This is Family First Sunday, so we welcome our children. Thank you, children, for being with us. So glad you're here. Well, two weeks ago, we learned about fellowship, and we said that fellowship is firstly membership, or choosing to belong. And then that fellowship is friendship, or, or living in, in friendship together, doing life together. And then we said that fellowship is also kinship, or loving believers like family. And then um, we said that loving believers like family is making a love commitment. It's committing to one another, making this kind of commitment. And the commitment is on the screen. And the commitment is from uh, Jerry Cook's book, Love, Acceptance, and Forgiveness. And it goes something like this. I want you to know that I'm committed to you. You'll never knowingly suffer at my hands. I will... I'll never say or do anything knowingly to hurt you. I'll always, in every circumstance, seek to help you and support you. If you are down and I can lift you up, I'll do that. Anything I have that you need, I'll share with you. And if need be, I'll give it to you. And no matter what I find out about you, And no matter what happens in the future, either good or bad, my commitment to you will never change. And there's nothing that you can do about it. You don't have to respond. I love you. And that's what it means. And that's kinship. That's loving believers like family. And the question for us this morning is, how do we do that? How do we love believers like family? And that takes us to our next core value, which is this. On the screen it says, we value living out the one another's of Scripture, practically and sacrificially. The one another's of Scripture. The New Testament gives Christians a lot of one another's, a lot of one another instructions things that we should do on behalf of our family in Christ. One another is two words in the English language, but actually it's only one word in the Greek, and the word is this, alelon, alelon. Everyone say alelon with me, alelon. So now you know Greek, alelon, one another. In fact, Alelon appears 100 times in the New Testament. 100 times. Very important word. Of the 100 times, over 50 times in the New Testament, the phrase alelon is used to instruct us in how we are to live out our faith with each other in the community of God. Alelon. Check out this list. Here is just a partial list. Take a look at this. Over 50 times in the New Testament, in the New Testament, we are commanded to do these things. We are commanded to love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, admonish one another, greet one another, serve one another, teach one another, accept one another, honor one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, be devoted to one another. Don't grumble against one another. Don't judge one another. Bear one another's 
burdens. Speak truth to one another. Don't lie to one another. Build up one another. Comfort one another. Be hospitable to one another. Over 50 times in the New Testament, we are commanded, we are instructed to do these things, to live out our faith in community in this way. Now, these alelon, these one another commandments can be grouped into four major categories. And the first category is unity or getting along with others. The second category is love. And the third category is humility. And then the fourth category, I just say it's kind of a miscellaneous thing, a miscellaneous category. And I'm just, I just want to briefly cover the first two categories this morning. Unity, getting along with one another, and love. Unity and love. And so let's start with unity. Rick Warren, in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, says this about unity. Now, I, I want to preface this by saying that I'm going to be talking about church unity, getting along in the church environment, only because the church over the centuries has had a very bad reputation for getting along, a very bad reputation for unity, for oneness. But this can also be applied into your specific situations. Because as Christians, we are called to be united, to get along with our co-workers at work. We're called to get along with our classmates in school. We're called to get along with our family members at home. We're called to get along with our neighbors in our community. But I'm just going to really talk about unity in the church. And so I'm going to address church unity. And listen to what Rick Warren says. He says, It is your job to protect the unity of your church. Unity in the church is so important that the New Testament gives more attention to it than to either heaven or hell. God deeply desires that we experience oneness and harmony with each other. Unity is the soul of fellowship. And now listen to this. He says, destroy it and you rip the heart out of Christ's body. That's a strong description. Destroy it and you rip the heart out of Christ's body. And so the question is, why is there sometimes disunity? Where does disunity come from? What causes disunity? Let's take a look at James chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It's up on the screen. And it says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. My good friends... um, Bon and Arlene. Arlene is here. Bon is probably golfing today, right? (laughs) Uh, um, We get along really well. My wife and I really get along well with Bon and Arlene. Um, Mainly, I think, is because... I I don't know. One of the reasons, I think, is because they don't have children and we don't have children. 
So we're not parents, and so I think um, we have this special kind of bond where we understand and we can um, empathize with each other. And um, so this one, one day, um, Arlene says to me, Hey, Thomas, I'm taking this class. It's a parenting class. You might think I'm weird, but I'm going to take this parenting class. And I thought, wow, that's actually a brilliant idea. I should take that class too. And the reason why I said this is because I know myself. And although I'm a grown adult, sometimes I behave like a child. You see, when I don't get my way, I throw a tantrum. I throw a fit. When I don't get my way, I take my ball and I go home. And isn't that true sometimes of us? We're grown adults, but sometimes we act like children. When we don't get our way, we throw a tantrum. We throw a fit. In fact, just this past Wednesday, um, my wife and I were getting ready to go to Ohana Group. And we're getting ready to visit our, uh, this Ohana Group in, in Waipahu. And my wife's like, oh, we should get some Popeye's fried chicken. And I'm like, and so I'm, I'm, I'm excited, right? And I'm like, oh, eight pieces? And I, you know, I'm pake, I'm thinking eight pieces should be enough. There's eight guys coming. And she's like, no, get the 20-piece bucket, hon. I'm like, okay, okay. And so I walk into Popeye's, and, I'm, and it's a long line. I didn't know, realize that at 6.30, everyone in Waipahu congregates at Popeye's. And so I'm in this long line. Waiting, for, waiting to order my 20 pieces of Popeye's fried chicken. I just can't wait. And then I get to the counter and I say, Ma'am, can I have 20 pieces of Popeye's fried chicken? And she says, mild or spicy? And I'm like, oh, okay, a mild, please. 20 minute wait. I'm like, 20 minute, wow, that's a long time. It's 6.45, I only have like until 7 o'clock. I'm, I gotta be at Yo-Yo and Bert's house at 7 and so I'm like, okay, you know what? Give me half and half. Ten pieces of mild and ten pieces of spicy. She goes, okay, half and half. Twenty minutes. I'm like, what? Twenty minutes. And I'm about ready to throw a tantrum. I'm about ready th- to throw a fit. And then I look down. And this is the shirt I'm wearing on that day. <laughs> Stupid shirt, yeah? <laughs> And so I'm wearing this shirt, and I look down, and I look at the people behind me, and I'm like, probably not a good day to throw a tantrum. (laughs) But isn't that true? As adults, sometimes we don't get our way, and we end up throwing a tantrum. We throw a fit. We take our ball, and we go home. And the Apostle Paul has something to say about, I mean, James here has something to say about that. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And he says, Don't they come from your desires, from your selfishness, from your self-centeredness that battles within you? He says, you desire but do not have, so you kill, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. We don't get our way, and so what what do we do? We kill, we quarrel, we fight, we cause disunity and disruption and division. Well... If I'm honest with myself, I'm pretty self-centered. I'm pretty selfish. I'm pretty self-absorbed. And perhaps you can say that of you some of the times. And the big problem is this. 
The big problem is that we live in a culture that is selfish and self-absorbed and self-centered. This is the messaging that our culture tells us. Our culture says to us, indulge yourself. Fulfill your desires. Satisfy your appetites. Pursue your pleasures. It's all about you, you, and you. And the Apostle Paul, he has something to say about self-centeredness. Take a look at what it says in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says this. He says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let, it, let each esteem who? Esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but for the interests of others. Others, other focused. Paul instructs us to shift the focus of our eyes off of self and on to others. He urges us to be other focused. You see, the world system will try to entice you to be selfish. And you have to choose, intentionally choose to say, no way, I'm guarding my heart. And instead of being selfish, I'm choosing to be selfless. The world system will try to entice us to be self-focused. And we have to intentionally choose to guard our hearts and say, no way, I'm not going to be self-focused, I'm going to be other-focused. Then listen carefully to what the Apostle Paul says next. Verse 5, he says this, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. Paul says, don't be self-absorbed, don't be self-centered, don't be selfish. And then he says, Jesus is our example. He was selfless. He was other-focused. He was all about humble service. And Paul calls us to selfless, other-focused, humble service. And so that's the first group of alelons, the first group of one another's unity, getting along with one another. Now the second group is this, love. We're called over and over again in the New Testament to love one another. To love one another. One of the most important lessons that God wants us to learn in life is how to love. We are most like Jesus when we love 
others. You know, love is like one of the most important words in our English language. Yet sometimes it's a very confusing word. We say stuff like, I love the Dallas Cowboys. I love UH football, maybe next year. (laughs) We say, I love chocolates. I love Hawaii, minus the traffic, and especially minus the traffic when POTUS is in town, right? But in the same breath, we also say, I love my family, I love my friends, I love God. And so then, what exactly is love? I like what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 about love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning in verse 4, he says this. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud or rude or self-seeking or easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. It is interesting to note that for the Apostle Paul, love is not some kind of abstract idea. For the Apostle Paul, love is action. Love is behavior. And I find it actually very beneficial to take this passage of Scripture, go home, and actually list it out. Take the word love out of there and put your name in there. And then try and list it out and use it as a report card. Grade yourself. How how are you doing in the area of love? And so list it out and say, Thomas is patient. Thomas is kind and and grade yourself. One through five, maybe. I don't know. Or A through F. I probably give myself a three in patience. I give myself maybe a four in kindness. Thomas does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, is not rude, is not self-seeking, is not easily angered. Thomas keeps no record of wrongs. Just list it all out. Grade yourself. You'll find that on some days, you probably are doing well in the area of love. And like me, you'll find that on other days, you're a failure when it comes to love. But here's the good news. The good news is this, that love has been given concrete expression in the coming of Jesus Christ to die for the sins of the world. Let's substitute the word love with the, word, with the name that is above every name, the name Jesus. Now listen carefully to this. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy, does not boast, is not proud, is not rude, is not self-seeking. Jesus is not easily angered. Jesus keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Jesus never fails. Man, I want that kind of love, right? I want to love like Jesus. 
But in my own strength, I have no power to love. That's why I love what it says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And it says this. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, in our own strength, in our own power, we don't really know how to love. Not really. But here's the secret. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. There's the power to love. Christ in me. There's the power to love Christ in you. Amen. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Let us pray.